talking about this thing called being new and this thing called change. Because transformation is in our DNA. It really is like we all want to grow. And growth only happens through change. And the best change marks us eternally. So the first week in our series, we talked about picking change. We talked about the lame man walking. And we talked about if we really want to pick the change we need over the change we want, we got to pick Jesus. The second week, we talked about the Holy Spirit. We talked about lifting the Holy Spirit up. We talked about the power of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit means in our life. And if we want to continue in the change we need, we got to have the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about how we can plan for change. And today, we're going to wrap something up because today, I want to tell you, change is only half the battle. Today, we're going to finish that battle. Today, we're going to talk about protecting your progress So today, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about protect your progress. Hey, one of the cool things we do at Divine Church here is I want everyone to be able to read the Bible, and we want to make it as easy as possible to read the Bible. So if you would like one, we have one free for the asking. But also, online, each and every week, if you have your phone, we use what's called the Bible app, and we have events set up. So uh, if you want to get to your Bible app right now, I'm going to show you how to do that. Download that from your favorite app store. Go ahead and click the More tab, click Events, and once you do that, make sure your location services are on, and you're going to see the Vine TV worship experience. Now, here's the thing. We're not tracking you. We're not going crazy on that. What we want to do is make sure you have information in your hands so that we can, you can contact us if there's any way we can serve you or pray for you specifically. So, if you want to go ahead and open that up, if you have your Bible, that is awesome. Go ahead and get to Nehemiah 13, because that's where we're going to camp out most of the day today. The book of Nehemiah. The book of Nehemiah. So how many folks have ever read about Nehemiah in their day? Hundreds. I see hundreds of hands coming. Awesome. So really, I do. It's great. God's faithful. So sorry, I had to get a little bit of water there. You may see me do that every now and again. Who else is under the weather today? Anybody else got that craziness going around? Awesome. We're getting this together. So the book of Nehemiah is where we're going to be camping out most of the day today. And so I don't want to assume that you've all heard about Nehemiah, so we're going to lay some groundwork, and it's going to take a little bit of time for us to get there, okay? So go ahead and get to Nehemiah 13 in your Bible if you want to get there. But we got to talk about this guy named Nehemiah. So if you know anything about me, you know if I'm in the Old Testament, most of the time when I'm talking about a leader, probably Joshua. So today I'm going unto Nehemiah because there's something awesome, awesome there, awesome there. And, you know, sometimes you just have Joshua and Christian. You know, like you have Christians, that, that is what it is. I'm just... Yeah. They know, they know, vine worship team, incredible. So we're going to the book of Nehemiah. So let me tell you a little bit about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is what's called a cupbearer to the king, cupbearer. So basically, he was always in the presence of the king, and Nehemiah, he was the last line of defense. Like, he would taste all the wine, taste all the food, and if he didn't die, then the king could eat it. But if he died, then, ah, well, they just get a new cupbearer, right? Like, he was the last line of defense, so he was always in the presence of the king. And this guy named Nehemiah is in Babylon, and the, the name of the king is Artaxerxes. So to lay the groundwork of everything that's happened, Israel has been in exile in Babylon. They've come out of exile, okay? And Nehemiah stays behind to serve as the cupbearer in Babylon. So Israel goes back to Jerusalem. And what happens when they get there is something that's, Near and dear to my heart, if I'm honest. But what happens when they get there is they try to rebuild the city. It says that the walls were were torn down, the gates were burned, and the people were filled with grief. And Nehemiah's heartbroken because his people are filled with grief. 
Guys, when I hear that there are thousands of people in Spartanburg County that don't know what the hope of the gospel is, I feel like Nehemiah. My heart is grief-stricken because I know whatever I'm walking through, whatever season, I know where my hope lies. And just like Israel right here, they're looking at these physical things and these seasons, and they are just beat up with grief. So Nehemiah sits there. He's a cupbearer, and so he knows instantly what God has calling him to do. He's got to go back to his city and rebuild the walls. So what we would expect in our time and in our age is since he knew, he went ahead and left immediately. He went right away because we're a microwave culture. We think you've got this idea, you've got this dream, so you've got to leave right away. God will follow behind you instead of going before you, right? So instead, we think that Nehemiah should leave right away. But you see, what I want to challenge you with today is maybe, maybe God's placed a dream in your heart and God's told you exactly what he's called you to do and you're frustrated because it's not coming to fruition right before your eyes. And I want to tell you the thing that he's planted in your heart, he will reveal it to the world through what he puts in your hands. And Nehemiah understood that. That dream that he put in his heart to rebuild those walls in Jerusalem, God said, hey, I'm gonna make you be faithful where you are right now as a cupbearer, and I will show the world the vision I've put in your heart. Trust me in my timing. How hard is that? That's one of the hardest things in the world, especially in this microwave culture that's a 17-time-a-day a news cycle. Like, we want to do it immediately. We want the next best thing. We want the newest thing. We want to go after it. But today, I just wanted to tell you, trust the process as you protect your progress. So Nehemiah continues to be a cupbearer, and here's what happens. Because he's saddened, he goes to the king. And the king says, why if we're out there so sad? He says, no, really. He says, Nehemiah, what's going on, man? I've never seen you be so grief-stricken. Like, you're my last line of defense. I can't have you downtrodden. Like, I can't have you sick because you're depressed. I, I, I got to have you sick because you were poisoned, right? Like, I need to know you're okay. I need to know everything's okay with you, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah just lays it all on the table. He says, my heart's broken. My people are broken. The city the city that God gave us to dwell in is broken. And the king says, okay, Nehemiah, what can I do for you? He said, well, here's all you gotta do. I need money, bodyguard, animals. I need a passport, and I need you to make me the governor. And if you'll do that, then I can go rebuild my city. And so the king put him straight to the gallows, right? No, you know what happened? Because Nehemiah was faithful with what God put in his hands. The king said, okay, how long is it gonna take? They agree to a time. And he sends Nehemiah on his way. He goes back to his city, and he hears about his people. And believe it or not, Nehemiah, in 52 days, rebuilt a wall what hadn't been rebuilt in 140-plus years. Think about that. So would you say that he, through God's power, he was able to change, make a change that he needed, and he was able to do it miraculously and quickly, much faster than he would have if he would have just went right away instead of being faithful and blooming where he was planted and being, being a cupbearer and the small things. See, we talk about not despising small things here at the Vine Church. We say, hey, living a faith-filled big life starts with small next steps in Christ. That's exactly what Nehemiah was doing. He was taking those small next steps and trusting God in his timing. So he goes, and the wall's rebuilt in 52 days, but he doesn't stop without opposition. He doesn't stop without opposition. These guys named Sanballat, what a name, awesome, Tobiah and Geshem, they mocked Nehemiah. They mocked the Jews. They defamed Nehemiah. They tried to blackmail him. As a matter of fact, Tobiah stood outside the gate and said, hey, if a fox jumps on this wall, it's going to fall. How is that for motivation when you're out there working day and night? Like they didn't sleep in these 52 days hearing that a fox. 
since we're in the south, it's more like saying a possum goes on that wall. It's going to fall, right? Like a possum goes there. So they make fun of the Israelites. They tell them how their God is worthless and how there's no way that this wall can be rebuilt. And miraculously, in 52 days, it happens. Sidebar here. Something that God just wanted me to share, I wrote down to make sure I did. There are going to be people in your life that think when you gain ground, they lose ground. And I'm going to tell you that's a lie from the pit of hell because God blesses all of his children. It's not about you gaining ground and them losing ground. It's about us gaining ground together. That's why we talk about the Big C Church and we support the local church. It isn't about the vine's name being in shining lights. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And when we all gain ground, we all win. But there will be people in your life for the dream that God's placed in your heart, the calling that he's placed in your heart, they will think they're in competition with you. And I want to set you free from that today because they're not. God didn't create us to be in competition with each other. He created us to be one one body together going to live out the thing that he accomplished for us. And today at the Vine, I'm thankful that we do that, but I'm thankful we're not afraid to give over $38,000 to the local church. We're not afraid to sow into global missions because we know this thing is bigger than us. And so Nehemiah goes and you say, okay, Tyler, you shared all this. What in the world are you getting at? Why are you talking to me about Nehemiah? I ain't even got to point one, y'all ready? Okay, so why are you talking about me? Well, it's not gonna be on the screen, but I wanna share with you this verse from Proverbs, and then we're gonna dive into Nehemiah. Proverbs 25, 28 says this, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Like a city's walls who's broken through is like a person who lacks self-control. So the reason that I'm talking about protecting your progress today and the reason I'm talking about the change we need is so many times in our life we lack self-control, we lack self-discipline, and we're just like Israel going back to Jerusalem with the walls torn down and the gates burned and we're filled with grief. So today we're going to talk about how we can protect our progress. And so as we're getting into Nehemiah, I've got a couple more verses that we're going to get in there. Nehemiah 4.18 says this. This is how Nehemiah built the wall in 52 days. They got a vision. He went to go do it. And he says, each of, the be- each of those builders wore a sword at his side as he worked, but the man who sounded the trumpet was with him. So basically, here's what happened. The people had a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other. A shovel in one hand and a sword in the other. This isn't a point, but I want to tell you, it says in the, that the armor of God, the sword of the word is the arm of God. If you really want to protect your progress, have the sword of the word in one hand, and don't be afraid to get your hands dirty with the other. And I promise you, you'll protect the progress that God's put in you. You'll protect the calling he has on your life, and you won't stray from the right or the left. You'll walk into the straight path. And so today, if you're trying to protect your progress, I want you to see what Nehemiah did, because he made sure that the people had the sword in one hand, and they had a shovel in another. And so what ends up happening is they build this this wall in 52 days and the the Disney movie's over everybody's so excited the whole town celebrates and it's crazy but no see you know what Nehemiah did next they had revival for 24 days straight revival for 24 days straight after that's what these next chapters of Nehemiah talk about as we lead up to Nehemiah 13 they had revival as a matter of fact the book before Nehemiah so if you hadn't got there in your Bible yet Nehemiah is the 16th book of the Bible if you're trying to get there and you're trying to flip through but there's a chapter before it called Ezra and so what happens is for 21 or 24 days excuse me Ezra's on this platform and he reads the Bible and then he explains it And then he reads the Bible, and then he explains it. And for 24 days, he does that with the people. And they have revival because here's the thing Nehemiah also understood. It wasn't about the walls being rebuilt. It was about the spirit of the people that was broken and the hearts that he was called to steward. He cared more about their heart and what they were following ever than the city being defended. 
Because he understood that it was about that. So I just want to tell you today, if you ever want to look and see what Sunday's like or Thursday's like, we're going to do what Ezra did. We're going to have revival. We're going to read the word and we're going to try to explain it. I can't tell you I'm perfect at it, but I promise you the Holy Spirit inside this place will definitely make it what you need to hear. And so I just want to tell you, be like Nehemiah here and understand that, hey, it's not about the walls in our life being built up. It's about the revival. Because here's the thing Israel always struggled with, and this is going to be mind-altering. Are you ready? You're like, dude, get to Nehemiah 13. We're almost there. Hang in here with me. We're going to camp out for a second. You know why Israel struggled with God? From the moment he led them out of exile, the moment he led them out of Egypt, they struggled with time, relationships, and money. Man, I'm so glad nobody struggles with that anymore. Aren't you? Hey, when you come to the vine, most of the time you're going to hear people talk about time, relationships, and money because the reason is it's about your heart, not about the amount of money you give, the amount of time you give, or the state of your relationship. It's about the state of your heart. And that's why Ezra and Nehemiah had revival for 24 days after they rebuilt this wall. And the people are so stirred after they rebuilt this wall. They're so ready to go that Nehemiah 10 verse 39 says it this way. It says, the people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, olive oil to the storerooms, where the articles of the sanctuary and for the ministering priest, the gatekeepers, and the musicians are also kept. And all of Israel says, mark this down if you got your Bible and remember this, we will not neglect the house of our God. We will not neglect the house of our God. So now we've got the foundation. Everybody's excited. Everybody sees the wall rebuilt. They've had revival. They are fired up. They are ready for the change they need over the change they want. They've picked Jesus. They've made a plan. They trust the Holy Spirit, and they write down an oath. And the next two chapters of Nehemiah are all the names of the people who signed the oath that says, we will not neglect the house of God, of our God. Finally, we're in Nehemiah 13. I believe this is going to be important for you today. I hope somebody's getting something out of it already, but I trust that the Spirit will get there. So get your Bible ready. Nehemiah 13, verse 4. Before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house, our God. He was closely associated, read that name to me, with who? Old Possum. Old Fox. all that, and Tobiah. So what does that association do? It says, and he provided him with a large room that was what? Formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, <laughs> the new wine, and the, the olive oil prescribed for the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priest, the contributions for the priest. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, Nehemiah goes back to Babylon to be the cupbearer for Artaxerxes after he rebuilds the wall because he's got to be faithful and bloom where he's planted. So 10 years later, he receives this word that all of a sudden this guy named Tobiah is back in the house of the Lord. And for the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission. So once again, don't don't disregard authority in your life. God's placed it over you for a purpose. Trust it. Understand that they will be held to that standard. So even then, 
Even then, Nehemiah has made the government of Jerusalem, the governor of Jerusalem, he still asked permission of the king to go back. He comes back to Jerusalem. He learns about this evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased. Nehemiah's a boss, y'all. He threw out all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Sounds like kind of what Jesus did a little bit later in the temple, don't it? He throws it out of the room. I gave order to purify the rooms. Then I put back into the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. And all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, what did he ask them? Why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them to their station. I called them together and stationed them at their post. If you're looking at how to protect your progress today, the first thing you gotta understand is behavior is contagious. Behavior is contagious. Good and bad, it's contagious. It's worse than the flu. Because see, all of a sudden, Nehemiah is standing there. Remember I told you in verse 10, 39, it says, everybody's so excited, we will not neglect the house of the Lord. Like, we're not going to take it. Like, they're jacked. They're ready to go. We won't neglect the house of the Lord. They're ready. They're fired up. And just two chapters later and ten years later, they've completely neglected the Lord. This guy named Tobiah who made fun of them all the time has crept his way in to the house of the Lord. Hint. That's what sin does in our life. It don't just set up right away. It inches in little by little by little. And all of a sudden, the people are broken down yet once again. I want to tell you this. So many times when we look at this behavior being contagious, it's good to have good people in our life to help us be contagious. You know, we're called as Christians to go into the world but not be of the world. But I want to tell you, Maybe, just maybe, if you have people in your life that only bring you down, maybe their, their behavior is contagious, and they're not making you a better follower of Jesus. They're actually dragging you away from him. Because here's the one thing I want to tell you. Your soul don't have cruise control. Jesus didn't create you to have a drifting life. He didn't create you just to ride the waves and, you know, keep cool. But our natural reaction is that, guys. Cruise control, comfort. Making excuses for someone else not following Jesus because we're neglecting following him in our life ourselves. And I want you to know, your behavior is not only contagious, the behavior of others around you are contagious. So remember, your soul doesn't have cruise control. It's meant to grow. It's meant to change. It's meant to be exactly who Jesus made you to be. So today, I just want you to know, don't let sin be like Tobiah and creep in your life because you're hanging around the wrong people. When you choose to do life with the wrong people, isn't it easier isn't it easier just to mess up? I know that sounds crazy, and I remember growing up in youth group, I used to hear this all the time growing up in the church. Your friends, your friends matter, because you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. That's what everybody used to always tell me. Show me your friends, show, yeah, okay. Like, all right, I get it, but I'm telling you, it matters. We're supposed to have a mixed bag of friends. We're supposed to have a mix of friends who don't know who Jesus is and friends who do know who Jesus is. It's not about just being all into one and not all in the other. But if you've only got friends that don't know who Jesus is, you're going to start making excuses and you're going to try to be their savior, which is not what you were created to be. And you're going to be upset and you're going to be angry at yourself because you can't be perfection. Only Jesus can be perfection. And so you're going to try to be their savior and then you're just going to fall out from following Jesus. As a matter of fact, in my walk with Christ, I can tell you that's where I was with the church. 
was so angry at the church, I wanted to be the Savior. I wanted to step in, and I wanted to make the difference, and I realized I was trying to be the Savior. And I was just making an excuse for me not taking a next step. So today, wherever you are, I want you to understand your behavior is contagious and the behavior of others around you are contagious. So if your parents tell you that, trust it. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Because here's the thing, it's really good to get excited and motivated and believe that you're gonna, you're gonna go lift all this weight and you're gonna win all these things, but it's another thing to actually do it, isn't it? <laughs> it's another thing to say, I'm going to the gym every day and you pass by the Waffle House and whew, <laughs> Got to roll up in that thing, right? Your behavior is contagious. So is those around you. Let's continue. Verse 15 says it this way. Verse 15. In those days, I saw people in, Jer- in Judah, excuse me, treading the wine press on the Sabbath day. Shame. And bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with the wine, the grapes, the figs, and all other kind of loads. The New King James Version calls that all other kind of burdens. And they were bringing all of this in Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. Man. People from Tyre lived in Jerusalem. Remember when Jesus flipped tables? Like I told you, people were trying to sell sacrifices in the temple of God. People were trying to take the easy way out, the cruise control way. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles, nobles, (laughs) the nobles, that's a new one, the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing desecrating the Sabbath day? Remember, they made an oath. We will not neglect the house of our Lord. Now all of a sudden they're neglecting not only the house of the Lord, but the Sabbath of the Lord. Didn't your ancestors do all these same things so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you were stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. Number two, if you really want to protect your progress, get smart. Some of you are going back to the TV show. I'm not talking about that today, but get smart. Get smart. So a lot of times right now, the reason I'm telling you about getting smart is all of a sudden what Nehemiah sees is there's something going on. Like now all of a sudden there's something going on. The Sabbath day is now being violated. Remember they had revival for 24 days. Now they're even letting the Sabbath day be violated. The state of their soul is not only grief stricken, it's broken down. So let me tell you what get smart means. So, growing up, back in my Walgreens days, some of you will appreciate this, but this is actually, you probably see these goals a lot. Jack Welch was a CEO of GE, and he came up with these things called SMART goals. So, I'm going to tell you what SMART means. So, number one, the S in SMART means specific. Specific. See, Nehemiah understood he had to get specific because all of a sudden in our life, when we make goals, it's one thing to say, I want to lose weight in 2019. It's another thing to say, I want to lose 30 pounds in 2019. Does that make, do you understand what I'm saying? Because you can say you want to lose weight and lose two pounds and celebrate your face off, but that may not be where you need to be. You may need to lose 30 pounds. Or you may say, I want to get out of debt this year. Awesome. Put a number to it. Be specific about it. I want to get $30,000 out of debt. I want to get $50,000 out of debt. I want to pay off my house this year. I want to have a number. Get specific. Because so many times in our life, if you want to protect your progress, we'll speak in generalities. Well, speaking generalities, because here's the thing, I've had it explained about us. If we don't get specific, specific, as a matter of fact, Chip and Dan Heath say it this way, we are loophole exploiting lawyers when it comes to our self-discipline. 
We'll always find the loophole if we ain't specific, right? Like, I'm going to follow the traffic laws. Okay, awesome, I bet you are, but that red light didn't count, right? Like, we, if we're not specific, then all of a sudden we get general, and when we get general, we make excuses. I think that's what happened to Israel here. They were specific a little bit. Like they said in the beginning of that in 1039, they said, we're going to bring everything back to the house of God. And then they said, we will not neglect the house of the Lord. So then all of a sudden, that general, we will not neglect the house of the Lord, just started slowly eroding away because they weren't specific in their goal, specific and keeping that. Number, number, number M, if you will, <laughs> M. So number one, specific. Number two, measurable. See, this allows you to track your progress. Are you going to be measurable with it? Like, if you're going to get out of debt in 2019, which, by the way, go to thevine.tv slash money. we got free tools for you. We'd love to give it to you for free. Say you want to get out of debt this year. How are you going to track it? Are you going to track it weekly? Are you going to track it monthly? Are you just going to say, on January 1st, I'm, I'm $30,000 uh, to pay off my car? Say that's what you got to pay, $30,000 to pay off your car. You've already heard in the welcome, uh, we're a debt-free church by God's grace, and as long as, as long as there's a breath in me, we'll be there, thank God, and amen. But that being said, say you want to pay $30,000 off of your car, well, what are you going to do about that? Are you just going to hope that that happens by the end of the year? Are you going to measure it monthly? Are you going to have something that you measure against? If you're trying to lose 30 pounds, are you going to have a goal every week that you're going to check? Are you going to go to the scale to check? Are you going to have inches that you're going to have that you're going to measure around your waist, your neck, your arms? Are you going to do that? Or are you just going to hope Hope that it happens. See, it was nothing measurable for Israel. All they said is, we're on a, we won't neglect the house of the Lord. We won't. And then all of a sudden, they did once. And then how much easier was it to do it again? And they did it again. And then, well, I, I mean, nobody's missed me yet. So I guess it's okay to, to skip out one more time, right? So measurable. Will you track your progress? Number, number three, A, attainable. Is this something out of your comfort zone? So if you're making a SMART goal, be specific, measurable, and attainable. We called it achievable back in the day at Walgreens. Uh, is it achievable? What I mean by this is, is this something you can do by yourself, or is it going to grow you to involve other people in your life? Is it going to stretch you to have accountability? Is it going to make you have other people in your life? As a matter of fact, when I'm trying to make goals like that, I try to think, would you have somebody in your life to hold you accountable to say, hey, listen, I struggle going to the gym. Will you pick me up today and I'll pick you up tomorrow and we'll hold each other accountable to go? Maybe, hey, I, I struggle with going to church every week. Will you pick me up to go to church this week? I'll pick you up next. I can have that. It's attainable. It's something that's gonna stretch me, but it's also something I can have accountability for in my life. So if you're trying to make this smart goal, see, Israel didn't have accountability. Their accountability was to Nehemiah, not to God. And so Tobiah wiggled his way in and slithered his way in. He was probably looking at him saying, Nehemiah don't even care about you anymore. Look, he's back there holding cups with a king. <laughs> what do you think about him? And they were like, well, I guess that's true. So that was one dinner. And then he started seeing the room. People stopped giving their tithes and offerings and stopped giving their grain and their gifts. And all of a sudden, he saw that room empty and he was like, hey, you're not doing anything with that room. Why not let me and my fellows move in? Why not do that? And so they didn't have, Eliashib didn't have anybody to hold him accountable. He wasn't working toward an achievable goal. And all of a sudden, before you know it, it's set up camp. The, the Sabbath day is desecrated and the people are lost. Are realistic. Does it seem worthwhile? Is this something that seems worthwhile? What I mean by that is it doesn't get you excited. 
Is it something you feel passionate about? That's where Nehemiah was. When he knew he was rebuilding the wall, he was passionate about what he was doing. Last but not least, timely. So if you're making a SMART goal, it's specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. What's your target date? You know, in the realistic and timely front, hey, I can want to be president of the United States, but if I'm not old enough, then uh, that's not a realistic goal. If I want to be president in 2019, there's not an election. Good luck with that, Tyler. That's not going to happen. That's not a realistic goal. I can do everything right, but is it realistic? So in your life, are you having those goals? Are you trying to see the change you need involves accountability in your life, has people around you, but it's also something realistic that you can work for. The easy way to look at it outside of a SMART goal, maybe you don't work in that, that little nugget of your brain, is I want to get from here to there by when. I want to be from here to there by when. What does that look like in my life? I want to be here to there by when. So if you're trying to protect your progress, number one, understand behavior is contagious. Get smart. Get smart about what you're doing. All right. Hang in here with me. Everybody, we got we to get a little calisthenics. We got to get ready. I've only got 12 more points, okay? We're excited. I see some smiles, so it'll be all right. All right, I only got a few more points, so hang in here with me. I believe there's going to be something. I'm hoping this is encouraging you. I believe the Spirit's moving in here, but I believe if you want to protect your progress, you can see some great things here. So let's pick up verse 19. Verse 19. And uh, it says this as you're getting ready. The great uh, prophet Garth Brooks says, The evening shadows and the stars. I'm just kidding. It says, When the evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. So listen to this. Not only did he kick them all out, he threw them all outside of the walls of the city. They still didn't stop. That's what sin does in your life. It'll camp right outside the gate of your life. It'll set up shop just outside of it, and it'll still say, hey, remember me? Psst. I wasn't that bad, was I? Hey, come on, that was fun, wasn't it? It wasn't too bad, was it? That's exactly what's happening here. And Nehemiah knows something's got to be done about it. So he warns them and says, why do the people spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. Get them, Nehemiah. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Number three, look at your neighbor. Say, shut the gates. Okay, you got to say it with like Nehemiah power. Shut the gates. Yes, isn't that fun? You got to shut them gates. If you're trying to do this in your life, you're trying to protect your progress, you got to shut the gates. Because here's the thing. He had to remove everything that was an obstacle from Israel. Because if you let sin stay around long enough, it'll keep creeping back in. And he said, I'm going to remove the easy way out for you. I'm going to set up a way for you to see that, hey, I'm going to remove this thing. away. So anybody like drinking sodas? Tough crowd, few folks. Okay, that's the example I'm going to use though. You give up sodas for the year. Do you go to the grocery store and buy a bunch of Coke when it's on sale? No, you got to remove the obstacle out of your life. That's what Nehemiah is telling folks. So he's shutting the gates on this thing happen because if we don't make it easy to do the right thing, we'll always end up doing the wrong thing. Matter of fact, Paul says it this way when he writes to the church in Corinth, flee, flee from immorality, flee from sin. Shut the gates on it. Don't even allow it the opportunity to enter into your mind, into your heart, into your house. Because when you do, it'll set up shop. 
So he removed it from Israel because here's the thing. He made a way to make it accountable. Willpower, if you're taking notes, it's something that you can write down, and I want, I want you just to hear this from my heart. Willpower is a diminishing asset. Did you know that? Man, we fight for willpower. We get charged. Like, we're ready to go. I got willpower like crazy, right? But willpower is a diminishing asset, and eventually you grow weary of fighting it. Gave up sodas for the year. But there's one can of Coke left in the fridge. (laughs) And man, have I had the worst day ever. Tyler, it's only January 1st, and that was your resolution. I know. I need a Coca-Cola, right? You have no willpower. So that's why it matters in your relationships. It matters how people are, their behavior is contagious with you. It matters whether you have goals or not, if you're being smart about your goals. It matters if you're shutting the gates on the things in your life that will prevent you from being all that God created you to be. Because like a city with its walls broken down is someone without self-control. So I just want to tell you this, as you were going through, when I look at Israel and what I'm thankful for, for where we are here at the Vine, and what I'm thankful for what we're doing is, I noticed when the sword and the shovel was out of the hands of Israel and they stopped building is when the problem started creeping up. What I'm trying to get at is when the word of God is not in your life and you're not willing to build what he's called you to build, you'll always find an excuse. You'll always have problems and you'll always blame someone else for your disobedience. And so today I'm asking you to shut the gates on that in your life. Shut the gates on the things that are making you stumble. Shut the gates on that. It doesn't matter. See, here at the Vine, we don't expect everyone else to carry our load. We understand that we do it together Together, we are God's plan for growing his church. We are one body united together to grow his kingdom, what he's called us to do, bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's exactly what we're called to do. So I'm gonna ask you today, wherever you are in your life, maybe you're struggling with your New Year's resolution, even though we celebrated that two weeks ago that you could break that because that was the average. I just wanna give you the freedom to shut the gates on sin in your life. You can do it. You gotta have accountability. You gotta understand it takes a community and it takes a family, but shut the gates on the things that will make you slip away. As a matter of fact, sometimes I hear folks, luckily I'm an early bird, uh, and believe it or not, I seem to have always been that way, but there were a time in my life that I wasn't. And I heard some friends one time, they were trying to figure out how they could get up early. So what, how they shut the gates of not getting up early, cause aren't those covers so comfortable in the morning? Aren't, oh, they're just great, right? They used to put their alarm clock in the bathroom so that it would go off in the bathroom and they would have to get up to turn it off. And after doing that for a few days, they had the routine of of continuing to do that, I guess, until they threw the alarm clock out the window and they just didn't care anymore, right? Like, they had that, but here's what they did. They removed the obstacle out of their life. So maybe that's what you got to do is stop making it easy to make the excuse in your life. Shut the gate on all the crap the chaos that can drag you away from being all that Jesus made you to be. Because Tobiah did that. The enemy will do that in your life. He will try to do everything he can to throw you off from being everything he created you to be. Because if he can get you to move just a little bit, you won't have joy. You'll feel like walls are broken down. You'll feel like the gates are burned, and You'll be filled with grief. And I want to tell you, Jesus called us to be light in the world. You can't be a light if you're filled that way. It's impossible. It's impossible. So today, I'm just going to ask you, keep 
the word of God, the sword in your hand, and be willing to get dirty and keep a shovel in your hand. As a matter of fact, we had some folks sign up for our family ministries today because they're willing to keep the word of God in their hand and a sword in their hand and understand that God's building something here and we want to be a part of it. That's awesome. That's what it's all about. Last but not least, we're getting there. We're getting there, I promise you. And this is the most important thing I want you to know today as you're protecting your progress. I love how Nehemiah ends this story Remember me for this also, my God. Show mercy to me according to your great love. If you're trying to protect progress in your life, remember behavior is contagious. You gotta get smart. You gotta shut the gate. And you gotta remember God's mercy. You gotta remember God's mercy. Because here's the thing that Israel did, and I believe, I believe we can all say we've been here. I know I've been here. It's like I said about giving up sodas for a week or giving up something in your life is so many times we think failure prevents us from being what God called us to be. See, Israel didn't understand that failure was on the road to success for all that God created me. As a matter of fact, I bet when Tobiah came and Nehemiah left, like they remembered that revival and all of a sudden they were like, well, I haven't given, I haven't tithed, so I can't go to church. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. You know, I mean, God, I haven't been in like two weeks. Like, I just, oh, man, I feel so good. Hey, like, <laughs> they saw me down at the local Camel Inn this week, and they saw what I did. Oh, my goodness. If they saw that lip sync battle I had, like, it would have been nuts, right? Like, if they saw my song choice of the lip sync battle, like, you know, Notorious B.I.G., and then I went to church on Sunday, right? Like, they were guilty. They were guilty guilty. And I want to tell you that's straight from the pit of hell and that's the enemy because God's mercy covers it all. Failure is what he uses to show his strength in your life. Paul talks about, hey, it's my weakness that he gains strength. Like in our life, those weaknesses and those failures, they're just mile markers on the road to success, mile markers on the road to being all God created us to be. Sometimes we fall back, but he never expected us to be perfect. He sent the perfect one in our place to be perfect, and we just got to trust him for perfection instead of trying to be it ourselves. So today, if you're trying to protect your progress, remember God's mercy. Because Satan will capitalize on you one sin at a time. Here's a quick stat for you. There's a New Year's stat. <laughs> Imagine 100 people say they're going to quit smoking. It's usually a New Year's resolution. 100 people. 90 of the 100 will say they're going to quit and never try. You tracking with me? 90 of 100 will say, I'm going to quit and never try. Go to a gym on January 7th. Trust me. Like, go to there. I'm going to quit and never try. Right now, it's probably, it's probably open season in the gym. You get the front parking space right now more than likely. Like, most people doing that smoking is the same way. So 90 out of 100 say they're going to quit and never try. Of those 10 that are left, of those 10 that are left, the stat is six of those 10 will try and, and won't be able to quit. So six out of 100 people will say, I'm going to quit and we'll try it and we'll never quit. So now we're down to the, the four. Four out of those 100 will actually quit. Do you know how many times they have to fail on average before they quit? Six. Six times they have to fail at it before they finally kick the habit. What happens if they gave up on number five? They're part of the other 96 people who never kick the habit, who never quit 
And so what I want to tell you is if God's called you to something, don't be afraid of failure. That's the most beautiful thing in the world is to be able to fail because it's not up to us. The outcome is up to us. Failure most of the time in our life is because of us, not because of him. So today, I just want to tell you, if you think failure is a bad thing, nah. See, I know this, this guy named Jesus, and I remember this story in the New Testament about this prodigal son who said, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to go do my own thing, and I'm going to go make my mark on the world, and you got to give me everything that's mine because I'm not going to wait for the process, and I'm not going to trust you in your timing to do what you've called me to do. I want it, and I want it now. And as a matter of fact, you would think, well, the father's done with the son. He's kicked him out. He wants nothing to do with him anymore. But no, the father goes out every day waiting for his son to come home because in his grace and mercy, he loves that prodigal. And I want to tell you right now, so many of us, that's our story. If we have a relationship with Jesus, we have to understand we're the prodigal and it's just time to come home. Would we trust him to come home? Because when we remember his mercy, it's not hard to come home. So I want to tell you today, you're not too far gone. Jesus didn't die on the cross for you for a contract. He died on the cross for you for a relationship, a covenant relationship. So wherever you are in your your walk with him, I want to tell you today, as you read this Bible, and I'm sharing these words about Nehemiah, and I'm telling you all these things, I want you to know cover to cover, this Bible is God's love letter to his son, and he's saying, I'm preparing something for you. I'm preparing a relationship for you. And his son came down, and he lives this perfect life that we couldn't live, so we don't have to bear the weight of that. Then dies the death that we deserve for the sin in our life. It loves us enough that we don't stay dead. Matter of fact, we don't earn life. There's nothing we could do to ever earn it. We just have to receive it by grace, by God's great mercy. So today, if you're really trying to protect your progress, you gotta remember behavior is contagious. You gotta get smart. You gotta shut the gates. That's so fun to say, isn't it? Tell somebody to shut the gates today. It'll, it'll be great. Shut the gates. And you gotta remember God's mercy. Because without it, you're a city with walls broke down. And you're filled with grief. And so right now, I just want to ask you, have you ever received God's mercy? Ephesians 2 verse 4 and 5 says this, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even while we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. I want to tell you today, anyone who has a relationship with Jesus, myself included, I'll tell you, we, we didn't earn it. We're not perfect. Matter of fact, many of us are going to fail today. But it's not our failure that makes us a child of God. It's not our failure that sets us free. It's not our failure that saves us. It's actually receiving, by God's grace, the gift of salvation from Jesus Christ. None of us could live the perfect life. Israel tried to live the perfect life. As a matter of fact, for 52 days, they rebuilt a wall. And for 24 days, they celebrated all of who God is. They never made the connection of a relationship. And so today, as we get to close, I just wanna ask you, have you ever given your life to Christ? Have you ever had a relationship with Jesus? The reason we do what we do at the vine I told you, isn't to put our name in shining lights, it isn't to give our name fame, it's to share the hope of Jesus with the world. And if you look back at your life and you look at all the changes you've been trying to make, maybe you're like Israel. 
and you find yourself in a cycle. You go and you rebuild the walls and you're okay for a few years and then they come crumbling down because you're trying to hold the weight of it on your own and I want to set you free today to say you were never meant to carry that load. You were never meant to carry that weight because God sent his son down to carry it for you. So today, if you would like to have a relationship with Jesus, if you would say, hey, I want to remember your mercy. I want to protect the, Jesus, I I want to give my life to you because when I surrender my life to you, I understand that it's in only that I have hope. Nothing else can sustain my hope. A relationship, a car, a career, or any created thing, no wall can sustain it. It's a relationship with you. And so with every head bow and every eye closed, I want to ask you in this moment, have you ever given your life to Christ? When you look back, do you keep making changes and you try to do it in your power and you see that it's left nothing but devastation, broken down walls, and burned down gates? I want to tell you, God loved you enough in his rich mercy that he sent his son to do what you can never do. And so in this moment, will you reflect if you've ever done that? I can't promise you that tomorrow is going to be okay with the relationship with Jesus, but I can promise you, you'll have hope no matter what happens in your life. And so with every head bow and every eye closed, we pray this prayer together as a family for the benefit of those who are coming to Jesus for the first time. Would you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you lived the life I couldn't live, died the death I deserved on the cross, but love me enough not to stay dead, but rose again on the third day so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life the best way I know how. And with every head bow and every eye closed, this is your moment. I'm gonna ask you, have you ever done that? And it's the first time that you have prayed to receive Jesus. I'm going to count to three, and I'm just going to ask you to respond. One, two, three. If that's you, if you're in this house, if you're online, and you've never prayed to receive Jesus, and that's the first time that you can say, by faith, you have a relationship with the Father, that you understand that it's not about being good enough. You understand it's not about checking off all the boxes or, or going to church every Sunday or giving to your till you can't give anymore or, or, or just being a good person. It's actually about receiving a relationship from the very creator of the universe to be all that you were created to be. If you're watching online, I'm gonna ask you to respond and I'm just gonna say, hey, message us, call us. If you're in this house and you didn't raise your hand and and you know that that was you today, don't be afraid to talk to someone because the reason we do what we do is so that we can point you to Jesus. None of this is about us. All of this is about him because we have nothing without him. And so with every head bowed, after we prayed, I'm gonna ask you to stand and worship in this last song. So with every head bowed, I wanna pray for us. Jesus, thank you for this time together. Thank you that we get to lift your name high. Thank you that we were never meant to sustain this, that we were never meant to do this. God, you could take it all away and you would still get all the glory today. Thank you for coming down to this earth and living a life and doing what we never could on our own. Jesus, we don't deserve any of this. It's by your great mercy that you sustain us and by your grace that we get to be here doing this all the time. I pray today if we're struggling with anything, you would give us the strength to talk to someone about it. 
I pray today if we don't have a relationship with you, I pray that you would let us see you in a new way and remind us that that is where we can only have hope. And maybe, Jesus, we have a relationship with you, but we've forgotten what it looks like to have community with you. Jesus, let today be the day that we protect the progress, that we stay in your word and we stay in your community and we stay in your house. Let us not neglect the house of God, Jesus. Let us not be the ones who have gone astray because it's been all about us. Let it be all about you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. If everyone would please stand. This is how I fight my battle. This is how I fight my battle. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how I fight my battle.
God did not call us to do life alone. We have to use him to fight our battles. We can do that singing out in praise and worship, lifting up his name. This is how we fight our battles. God fights them for us, right? Hey, the walls may be torn down in your life and the gates burn, but it is by his grace that we have protection no matter what. It's about our heart. It's about our relationship. And so today, I pray that as you protect your progress, you would have a renewed relationship with the very Savior of the world. Don't forget what he's brought you from. You're never too far gone. You never had to clean yourself up to come to him. So why in the world do you feel you got to clean yourself up now? Because he's going to clean you up. He, he is fighting your battles. So as we get ready, I saw deodorant going on today. Go ahead and get them arms around somebody. You know how it is. Don't shut the gates on your neighbor now. I know that was part of the message. Come on in this thing. We one big family. Look at that. Everybody, family. I even see them in the, thank you, Jeremy, in the back. There it is. All right, let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you that we get to be here. God, Really, we don't deserve any of this. God, we try so hard to fight our battles that we forget you've already won the victory. Jesus, you've just called us to follow you step by step. Let us trust your timing. Let us trust your process. Let us be so in love with you that, that all the chaos and the noise of the world just fades away because we are sitting at your feet. And God, the best way to protect our progress is to be so dug into your word and have your word in one hand, but also be willing to get our hands dirty with the other. So Jesus, today, I pray that whatever you've called us to, that thing you've birthed in our heart, that we not be impatient, that we see the things that you're placing in our hands is how you reveal your plan to the world for the thing you've placed in our hearts. So the calling that you've given us, Jesus, let us stay faithful in it. Let us continue to follow you step by step in it. Don't let the enemy set up camp outside the walls and start creeping into the thing that you've created us to be. Instead, Jesus, let us protect our progress. Let us remember that we've got a family that is here with us walking step by step wherever we go because we weren't meant to do this alone. Then you made a way for us to not do that. So thank you for the vine. Thank you for Greenhouse. Jesus, thank you for your church. And Jesus, thank you for being our Savior because we have nothing without you. God, set us free today. Let us see you like never before and remind us who you made us to be. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Come join us next week. We can't wait. We're going to have Big Game Sunday. And for real, for real, February 10th, we're starting the vow. Make sure you invite your families and friends. We have folks that want to walk and do life with you through your marriage. The best is still yet to come. <laughs>